Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. The title of today's podcast is Why We Need the Enormous Power of Jesus More Than Ever. Why We Need the Enormous Power of Jesus More Than Ever. Uh, We're facing great challenges today, great challenges on so many levels uh, around us. And so it's it's easy to lose sight uh, of the enormous power of Jesus and fall into a a very small vision, small expectation, very little faith, and we get overwhelmed. Uh, And it's easy to be taking things into our own hands and trying to figure it out. One of the gifts of COVID-19 is, I think for so many of us in in leadership, especially in the church, we thought we knew what we were doing. We had had a plan uh, and all of that got disrupted and continues to get disrupted as God is shifting the wineskins of how we do church, and we're being thrust in a fresh way into Jesus. Now, the story, the message of this podcast, I'm going to be sharing a message from you, comes from Mark chapter 5, and it's Jesus. It gives you a glimpse, it gives us a glimpse into the enormous power of Jesus over evil in the story of the the Gerasene demoniac. In fact, it's more graphic than any other story in the New Testament and gives us a picture of what uh, the demonic does to human beings and destroying God's image and distorting God's image in people. And so the scene begins with a man full of a legion of demons, a legion of 6,000. He's screaming at the top of his voice. He's living in a cemetery. He's chained and shackled. They don't, that doesn't hold him. He's totally uncontrollable, violent, naked, chaotic. Uh, he wants to die. He's tortured. The situation's hopeless. And, and then Jesus enters, and it shows the enormity, the, the completeness of Jesus' power over the forces of evil. I, I love this text. And uh, one contribution of EH discipleship is the integration of this power of Jesus, the incredible power of Jesus that we want to see and move in with the issue of the hard work of discipleship. And Again, back to filling up our houses with Jesus so there's no room for the evil one. And uh, and so I, I want to invite you to just really uh, let this incredible text wash over you. Now, one of the ways that we embrace the power of Jesus together uh, is also to do practices as teams uh, so that Jesus actually fills our house. And so I want to invite you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team, and you'll see a num- number of a trainings I did. It's free trainings on Sabbath, rule of life, genogram, uh, emotionally healthy skill, community temperature reading. And uh, it's got some notes and videos of how to actually, again, fill your house with Jesus. Uh, and again, allow, and allowing the power of Jesus to flow through you and your team uh, that you're leading. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org team. Check that out. Uh, I think you'll find it very helpful. But for now, let me invite you to Uh, listen in on this message on why we need the enormous power of Jesus more than ever. Enjoy. You need a Bible, raise your hands, we'll give you one. We're in Mark 5, and a series in the Gospel of Mark. Last week I was in uh, Columbia for the weekend and for four or five days at a conference there. And next week I'll tell you about it. I'll share about it in some detail. ¿Cuántos colombianos tenemos aquí en la casa? Levanta la mano. Ah, los colombianos están aquí. Ah, qué bueno. All right. Hablaremos la semana que viene. I know last week Rich preached a great message about God sitting on a throne. That Jesus, therefore, can sleep on the boat. 
Then he quoted uh, Dale Bruner, who said, at times, sleeping with confidence pleases Jesus more than praying with fear. And I was watching the sermon, and I realized there was a big roar in the audience. I'm like, wow. Everyone was real excited about sleeping with confidence. And I said, gee, I'm just glad everybody showed up this morning. I said, I, everybody's going to sleep in after that sermon by Rich last week. So I, I had some anxiety coming this morning. I thought about sleeping in myself after that sermon. But anyway, it's great to be here. We're going to read Mark 5, a great passage of Scripture. We're going to read a whole 20 verses. So as we read it, I want to ask that you would uh, imagine yourself in the text. Uh, is Jesus crossing over the Sea of Galilee to a Gentile area where the disciples had never gone? It's got cemetery and tombs. and So you've got to just try to picture the scene as the 12 disciples get off the boat with Jesus. All right, And this man comes racing toward him. And it's, in, it's got such graphic detail that it's meant to be imagined that you're in the text, that you could feel it, all right? The anxiety, the fear, the power, all right? Chapter 5 of Mark, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people that it, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Amen. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, I, I pray that uh, as this Gerasene man made room for your power, may we this day make room for your power to be unleashed in us personally and corporately. So come visit us by the Holy Spirit through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we're in the book of Mark doing this series, 
The New Testament brings us behind history to what's really going on. And that's it. There's an enormous warfare, spiritual warfare going on over your life and my life. There are powers, principalities, rules of the air, the Bible says, right now over your life and over my life. And so we're called to this awareness, not paranoia, but awareness that there's a, there's a spiritual warfare going on. And it's no joke around our lives. That's why Paul writes, we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. He writes in 2 Corinthians or, or the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven. It closes with, you know, forgive us our trespasses and forgive those who trespass against us. And it goes, and deliver us, it closes, from the evil one. So every day that it's to be in our awareness that there is a warfare going on. There are demons, powers, and principalities. So when you read the newspapers and behind events, uh, we recognize there's a struggle going on behind the scenes. So you're struggling not just against circumstances. Not just against situations, not just against certain people. You're not just struggling against your institution you may be working at or participating in. That there's, there's powers behind these things and our struggles with that. And so when Jesus comes and invades earth, he's crucified, he rises from the dead. There, there's a, there's a, a galactic battle that goes on here on the earth. And the domination of evil powers is broken. And so we talked about two weeks ago how Jesus gives this parable of, to understand him, he says, I, I, I bound the strong man. Remember that in, in Mark 3. So that people, his possessions can be set free. And uh, that I've come to set people free from bondage to the evil one. And so, that, but there is a Satan, Jesus says, who's exer exercising a real influence in the world. So we talked about how, you know, the reason the Son of God appeared, 1 John 3, 8, was to destroy the devil's work. No, no qualms about it. And, and that... Jesus having disarmed the powers and authorities. That's referring to demonic powers and authorities. He disarmed them. He, he broke their power. Now he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, you know, Colossians 2. So this story is so important because it is the most graphic story in the New Testament of Jesus you know, destroying the demonic. There's nothing like it. It's so detailed. In fact, it's repeated in Matthew and Luke as well. It's such an important story because it gives us a picture of what the evil one is seeking to do against human beings. And that is, he is out to destroy and distort the image of God in human beings. That is the goal of all satanic power. Distort, twist, and destroy the image of God inside of you. But that the work of Jesus is, Jesus. this passage shows the completeness, I don't, I don't know what word to use here, completeness, the enormity of Jesus' power over forces of evil. I mean, it just, it's, it's a picture here, and we're meant to, to feel the picture, to, to take it in and actually, and actually apply it. So, so remember, that this, you're going to have this picture of great power in just a moment, you're going to see. But at the same time, Jesus says in chapter 4 of Mark, the kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds. In fact, it's almost invisible, imperceptible. And so you've got to make sure you're watching it. So you've got this image of the kingdom of God is very small. It's slow. It's, it's imperceptible. It's almost invisible. You've got to make sure you're discerning to see it. Yet at the same time, in this passage, we're going to see is explosiveness of power that's in your face. So, so they're both true. So just hold on to that mustard seed for, for balance. Okay, so here's our theme today. Our theme is making room for the power of Jesus. And my invitation to you today is that you would make room for the power of Jesus in your life. Because what happens is Gerasene, this man, he makes room for the power of Jesus. His life is completely transformed. 
But the people whom he lives with, the townspeople in the Decapolis, in this part of the world, they plead with Jesus, leave, get out of here. They don't want to make room for the power of Jesus because they're afraid. They realize the implications of making room for the power of Jesus is far-reaching. And it is for their lives, our lives, and the region. So, again, let, let's, let's, let's go to the, the, the story here in, in verses 1, one 2, and 3 and just, just unpack it. Jesus is in a boat. It was last week's sermon. He crosses over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This is Gentile territory. Jews don't live here, believing Jews. It's unclean. They raise pigs. It's the place of the demonic. I imagine the 12 disciples, Peter, you know, Matthew, Luke, John, John they've never been there before. Okay, this is, gonna, this is their first trip over here to the other side. They get there. They land the boat. Twelve disciples get out with Jesus. And here comes racing this man, okay, naked. Okay, he's got 6,000 demons in him, all right, a legion of demons, it says. Okay, he, he is screaming at the top of his lungs, and he's racing towards you. All I can think of is James and John saying, you know, we had a nice fishing business. <laughs> I had one or two disgruntled appoint, uh, employees that were mad at me, but nothing like this. So it starts with this guy, he, 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 he's screaming, and he races, and he, verse 6, he falls on his knees in front of Jesus. And uh, he, man, he's screaming, it says, at the top of his voice. And uh, he, he lives in a cemetery, it's all a cemetery, there are tombs. And, and he, he's been put in iron and, and chains and shackles because he's so violent, and this guy's got the... the, the the demonic has such power in his life, he breaks them. So there's strength that comes from the wrong source. He, he breaks their, their chains. No one can tame him, it says. You know, he, he, he's violent. He's out of control. He is, he, he's got enormous destructive power. And, and so in verse 5, you've got this image of it. It says, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So imagine all the people of this town of Decapolis, which is actually 10 different towns, they're, they're eating dinner, all right, at the table. Little, little, little Joey's having his soup, you know. And, ah, you know, screaming up there in the hills. But everyone's frightened to go there. But they've been living with this now for years. This guy screaming out here, naked, running around, naked. Uh, and so he's cutting himself. It's an image is cutting himself, it says, with sharp stones. So, so he's got this self-destructive behavior. And so he's naked, he's shameful, he's chaotic. He's a living death. This garrison man. His existence is intolerable. He, he, he wants to die. He, it's tragic. His situation is hopeless. Nobody can help him. And so here's my description. The man is not, he's demon-possessed, yes. He's demonized. He's, he's emotionally unstable. He's mentally confused. He's spiritually a mess. And he is wandering among the tombs. He, he has no sense of rest. Now I look at this man, this garrison. And I relate to him. And I don't know who you relate to in the stores. I mean, I relate to Jesus. Yeah, I'm sure you do, you know. <laughs> you know? But I, because there's a story behind the guy's story. I mean, I mean, how did he get in such a state? Now, we don't know. But I, I suspect very strongly he got there very slowly. I mean, the guy was, has parents, his mother and father. You know, he had brothers and sisters. I'm sure he had a family. And uh, aunts and uncles, grandma, grandpa. And uh, somewhere along the line, uh, some things began to go bad for the guy. Began to make some bad decisions. Who knows? Maybe he was married. 
at some point. Uh, maybe he had kids. Maybe his wife left him, you know, for another man. Uh, maybe one of his kids was tragically killed in an accident. And so he, maybe he had a business and he got betrayed and the whole business went down. He was bankrupt and couldn't support his family. He grew bitter and angry and rageful. And maybe I like Augustine's definition of sin. Sin is closing in on yourself, kind of rejecting God and closing in on yourself. You're not thinking of God anymore. And, and so this guy's going inward and his heart grows hard. And, and, and he begins to hate, not just people, he begins to hate himself and shame takes over and that feeling of despair and, and helplessness. And, and he maybe begins to accuse himself. And you know how you, your mind starts playing tricks on you and your thinking is wrong and faulty, but it's like you're, you're spiraling downward. Do you know what it's like to be in a spot and you're just, you're in a bad place and you realize you're going from bad to worse? Because all your thoughts are just bad. And you're like, on, you're, going, you're, you're going down a slide quickly. And at some point for this man, he crossed the line with a demonic enter. You don't get here overnight. This is just happening in a poof. You get there over a period of time quite slowly. But at some point, he crossed the line, the demonic enters until he gets to this place. We see him naked, screaming in the tombs, completely out of control, possessed. Okay, by thousands of, of demons. You know, we talked about discernment. We got into this whole issue of making room for, for Jesus over evil. And uh, discernment and spiritual warfare. But I, I, I really, I, I want you to pause with me. Because when I read this text, he is the first person I can relate to. How slowly and easily I could become like this. In fact, I mentioned this to Jackie Snape, one of our staff. And I said, Jack, I could see over a period of months, that could happen to me. She goes, months? How about a day? You know, <laughs> But see, if you read this passage and you can't relate to the man, this Gerasene man, you don't know your capacity for evil. You don't know yourself that apart from Jesus, man, you're in big trouble. You know, two weeks ago, 10 days ago, they, they captured Ratko Mladic, the Serb commander uh, that was accused of Europe's worst massacre since World War II. Uh, he was 15 years in hiding. They finally found him. And he had led the Serbian forces during that war in the former Yugoslavia, 1992-1995, and uh, when Bosnia was seceding from Yugoslavia. And he led, at least he's charged, with leading a genocide uh, of 8,000 men and boys in the Muslim town of Srebrenica. And I watched the video. It was incredible because they have, they have, they have footage. I mean, they have footage of him with his soldiers, so, young soldiers, young men, Serbian soldiers. And it shows him putting all the women and men. The United Nations is watching this. They don't do anything, but they're watching. They put the women and children on buses, you know, take away. They take the men and, the, and all the boys with them. And it show, they rifle them, kill them all, 8,000 massacre. And... You know, you say, oh, I mean, oh, my gosh, melodic, oh, my God, oh, you know. But how could that happen? I mean, it was like, it was like an unleashing of something so demonic and evil. I you know, it's 8,000 families. I mean, it's like, and, um, but I totally understand how that could happen. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't, it happened over decades of hatred. And in fact, if you know the history of Bosnia and Serbia, it goes back to the 1300s. 
a, a war that the Muslims with the Serbs and, and, their, and, and the hatred, they began to nurse it, you know, and a resentment towards, you know, Bosnian Muslims, you know, and the Serbs. And, and you, you do that over decades, you know, and, and centuries. Yeah, 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 yeah. You cross a line at some point. And some evil powers take over that. It's almost inhuman. Parker Palmer, many of you know his name, he's a great author. And he, he, used to be, he, he writes about many, very few people, he says, understand the Holocaust. They know it in their heads, but they don't really know about the Holocaust. Because to know about the Holocaust, you have to understand something much deeper about it. And he says, he, he writes about himself, he goes, yeah, I understood the facts of the Nazis, but at arm's length. He goes, but I, I removed those horrors of the Holocaust. They were like from another planet, he says. They, they didn't really happen to like human beings. So he goes, it had nothing to do with me, the Holocaust. But he goes, yet, he writes, the, my own community had, had its own violence at work. He lived in an area in the Midwest where Jews uh, were, because of redlining real estate practices, were all had to live in pretty much the same neighborhood. And uh, he said they lived isolated in an isolated section of the city. And many of you know what redlining practices are. They go on New York City, right? That put, we don't want to live near certain people. And we put them in certain neighborhoods. And he goes, that, that's the violence. Okay, the Holocaust. And he writes this. He goes, he goes, some of us live in communities that have been created by systemic real estate practices to keep certain people away from us. He goes, the same evil forces that created the Holocaust are at work in those situations. And he says, what I failed to learn, Parker Palmer Wright, was that the same fascism or Nazism that caused the Holocaust was at work in my own heart. But until I could see the same force at work in my own heart, you really don't know the Holocaust. If you don't see that you're capable of such a thing. And he says, what do we do when we're threatened by people? What do we do? We write them off. We do it with a remark, a sarcastic remark, a cut, a tone of voice. We give them the silent treatment. We withdraw from them something to just cut them into pieces. And he goes, we do that kind of violence, and we don't relate to the fact that we got the murder in our own hearts. But you do that enough, and at some point, you cross a line. And there's all kinds of justification for it, and evil just kind of blossoms and grows. But beneath, so, so, so I just want to just, I don't want to leave that point about the slow downward spiral. For any of us in this room, and don't ever, ever think that anybody's above it. But nonetheless, this garrison man is in a bad, bad place. But beneath the chaos of his life, his life is really chaotic. There is a person underneath that. A person who's made in the image of God. And in verse 8 and 9, Jesus says, what is your name? And in verse 9, he says, my name is Legion. Now, this man's identity has been so crushed by the demonic, he doesn't even, his, we don't even know his name. And there are people whose identity has been so wrecked, have no idea of who they are anymore. And he says, my name is Legion. And Legion, a Roman Legion had 6,000 soldiers and 120 horsemen. So I mean, that's, a, that's a lot of demons in this guy. Evil has so taken over every part of his life. But still, he's a person. The image of God is still in him. But God's got a plan for this guy's life. God's got a mission for him. God's got a destiny for this man. God put this garrison on earth for a reason and a purpose. And yet we see the evil one. What does the evil one want to do with you? He wants to kill you. Make no mistake about it. I mean, what happens to these, these, these demons go into the pigs, the pigs go off a cliff and drown. Because that shows you that is the destiny of what Satan wants for every human being. Destroy you. 
And, um, but his purpose of the evil one is to destroy and distort the likeness of God inside of you. That is his purpose. Now, I want you to, now, now, now the story turns because Jesus enters the scene. I mean, now, now in, go, go to verse 12 here, because in the history of that time, if you read some of the writings, the rabbis cast out demons. Now, if you've seen Harry Potter, right? All the spells in the books, you know. You know. And that's kind of like they had special prayers that they would say, yell the name of Jesus, you know, the name of God. We, you know, they're screaming and yelling to cast out demons. And you know, all these things you can read about how they cast out demons, always with this big commotion, a lot of show, a lot of yelling, special formulas and all that. And uh, so, but what's so amazing here is Jesus comes on the scene. And in, in verse 12, it says, that he, he, Jesus just shows up. And the demons, in verse 12, it says, the demons beg Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. I mean, they, I mean, Jesus, no show, no big vocabulary, you know, no shouting. Jesus says, okay. He gives them permission. But very, very important. Like you see, Jesus doesn't yell, doesn't scream, doesn't say special prayer. Just his, his, his presence, a simple they ask permission to go. It's like Jesus says, you may go. It's done. Herd of pigs on a hillside go racing off a cliff, all drowned. Enormous display of power. But um, th that's why a simple word of Jesus is enough to fell any demon. That's why it's so crazy when any believer is living in fear of evil spirits. Because of who Jesus is. I mean... There was years ago, before we bought this building, this building was used for many evil purposes. From striptease, to racist practices, to drug dealing, to prostitution, all kinds of things they wanted in this building. And so I remember there were, there were some people who were very afraid that we, and, and things on the walls. <laughs> funny people on the walls. And so there were people very afraid of coming into the building. You know. Do you understand? Totally misunderstood. You understand? Just the presence of Jesus. His presence alone is enough to end all discussion. And the, the presence of Jesus is an exorcism. It releases power. And when you receive Christ and become a Christian... The great miracle of Christianity, unlike all other world religions, is the God of the universe lives inside of a, you. It's called, in Colossians 1.27, one of the great mysteries is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ says in John 14, I'll make my home in you. That's the miracle. God inside of you. What are you afraid of? And so, if you're working in Wall Street or in the financial district, you understand, you may hate your office mates. You may think they're all demonized, okay? But you walk in that office, the presence of Jesus inside of you, do you understand? It's like a deliverance in the place. Just You're there. Because Jesus is there inside of you. If you're a teacher or a principal or vice principal, or you're a student, you go to class tomorrow, you're saying your presence in that class is Jesus walking in that place. It's like a deliver. It's like something's happening. There's not just an announcement of power. There is a projection of power. Goes on. 
because of Christ. Not because you're special. It's because of him. Right now, there's children's church going on. They're teaching a class there. They're, they're bringing truth to these kids. You understand? There's a deliverance going on in children's church right now. When we worship right now in this room, New Life Fellowship in, on Queens Boulevard, by its very existence, breaks the power of Satan. Just the very existence of a small group as it opens up scripture. Do you understand? There is a presence of truth that's happening right at that moment. It breaks satanic power. That's why for many of you, it's such a warfare to get to church. To even being wor- When you're in worship, you feel like it's like the heaven's open. Absolutely it's open. Of course, in prayer. Why? To get you from prayer. Because prayer just opens heavens. And the word, it's like, it's an announcement and a projection of power. The very presence of Jesus. We don't need special incantation, incantations and emotions. And, no, it's, just, it's him and his presence. So, we're to look at this man. Look at verse 15. I want you to look at this verse here about the enormity of Jesus' power because this guy, this garrison from the other side of the lake. Okay, now here's the passage. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Sitting there, this is verse 15, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Okay, let me ask you this first, verse 15. Now, first, okay, the man is sitting there. Do you, so, so he used to run wild. Do you understand? He was out of control, running all over the place. He was restless. Do you ever feel restless? Do you ever feel full of anxiety? Okay. This man is now, the power of Jesus has come. He's been doing this now apparently for years out of control. Okay. The, the enormity of the power of Jesus has been unleashed in this guy's life. He has made room. And now he is sitting. Now, that word for sitting was an idiom of that time. What that means is it was used to say, to, to indicate, I am sitting at a rabbi's feet as a disciple. He is now sitting to learn from the word of Jesus. Like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Not only that, it says he is dressed. And in his right, he's dressed. Now, before he was naked. Do you ever, have you ever felt so exposed it was just too exposed in a shameful way. And you're like, oh my gosh. Well, this man is, is, is dressed. Now, in, in ancient times, the word dressed was the word, that word is the word used that when, when, a, when a man adopted a son. Okay? They put a cloak, his robe on him, and he dressed them. So, many scholars believe that for him, this was a formula for adoption. To clothe a man was to adopt him. That's why this man wants to stay with Jesus. Because, Jesus, you're now, I now belong to you. Just like an adopted father would wipe out all the debts from the past of that son. All your debts have been cleaned. All your sins forgiven. You're now mine. He's now clothed. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And not only that, he is in his right mind. Have you ever felt like you were out of your mind? I'm sure your friends have thought you were out of your mind. My wife has thought I'm out of my mind more than once. But... Again, before, he's fragmented, he's scattered, he's all over the place. Uh, now he's in a place of contentment and deep rest. He, he, deep rest, he, he's, he's centered. The word for me is he's centered. He, he's thinking, he's in his right mind. You see, Jesus can transform a person like no other power in the universe. 
Listen, there are many world religions out there, many religions. And, and there are conversions that happen to cults and all kinds of things, to business ideas. And, and, but Because God created us and wired us for conversion to him. But when a person comes to Jesus Christ, meets him, Jesus takes up residence inside of them. Friends, there's a power unleashed here like no other in the universe. That can take a man like this garrison, completely out of control, not sitting, but running around racing chaotically, naked and out of his mind, and the person sitting, they're dressed, and they're in their right mind. There has been a powerful transformation, the enormity of a release of the power of Jesus in a person's life. There's nothing like it. Imagine yourself making room for the power of Jesus. What would happen to your life? Now, think of some people around you. Imagine some people you know making room for the, this kind of power of Jesus. Some hard, you got some hardened people around you? Oh, they're the last people that would ever come to Jesus. You know, they're hardened, they're out of control, they're scattered, they're uncentered. Imagine the power of Jesus released in their life. Just see it for a moment. Now, think of yourself making room for this power of Jesus. Now, now remember from two weeks ago, it's an event. This happens in a moment. But yet, it's a process as well. Remember, you have to fill up the house. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus told a parable that if a demon goes out, you better fill the house up with Jesus or 12 more are going to come back. Or 7 more are going to come back. This guy, so this guy has got a discipleship process to move through the rest of his life. To, 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 for the power of Jesus to, to be more fully, you know, fully expressed in his life. Discipleship. And he's got to make a lot of decisions. Uh, but nobody... I hear this. No one can change a life like the living Jesus. And that is the point of this passage. That for anybody who runs to Jesus, even if they're completely out of control, at least they got to him, that is enough for him to unleash. And the word is not power. It's enormous power. It's mega power. It's power unlike any other force in the universe where a person is now actually changed. From the inside out. Not from some religion externally. You should do this. You should do that. Guilt. It's inside out. Now, the image I like is this image here of the David. And I remember seeing this when I was a college student. And I was not into art at that time. But I remember seeing this, this a sculpture of Michelangelo. And saying, this is, this is, this is hard to believe that a person could craft such a work of art, the muscles, the hands, the eyes. I mean, that's from marble. And from that time on, I was captivated by arts. But it came from like a block like this. Now, it is one of the greatest works of art in history. We, we know that. And uh, But I want you to, that's, that's only a work of art, okay? That's a, it's, a, it's a block of marble. But when God says that he makes human beings in his image and his likeness, what he's saying is that, you are something indescribable. You are much more awesome, beautiful, and magnificent than any work of art, Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, or mountain range. You're a human being made in my image. You are indescribable. You are crowned with glory and honor, it says in Psalm 8. You're, I made you a little lower than the angels. Jerry and I like the word, you are unrepeatable. There is nobody like you, nor will there ever be on the face of the earth like you unrepeatable, indescribable, magnificent. You are made in his image. That's you. 
But because of sin in Genesis 3, in the human race, you're, this image of God in you has been disfigured and distorted. It has been smothered. And because of the reality of personal evil, which is you moving through events, that image of God has been, has been wrecked. And so we underestimate what it means that the image of God in us, how God originally made us, has been distorted, and what it means to have been shut down, because Jesus came to restore that. Listen, the consequences of being raised in certain families or cultures or institutions or in churches or certain friends or jobs or words set against us that just crush us and the image of God, how he originally made us. Some of you in this room have been through abuse physically, sexually, uh, emotionally, violence done to you. Some of you have done violence to yourself and thus who you really are, your true self in Christ has been so damaged. And behind that was the evil one, unquestionably. And, 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 and you've made some bad choices. And so as a result, many of us, we find our identity in what we do, our achievements. We find our identity in owning things and being powerful. Or we find our identity in, in, in achievements and what other people think. And unconsciously, we wrap ourselves in this false self that's not really us. Now, I want, you see, Jesus comes in this garrison man's life and he liberates him. He frees him to this when he was buried in here. That is what Jesus came to do. He died and rose again to free us, friends, and to restore us to who we really meant to be. But I recognize I'm not always centered. Even as a, as a believer, listen, when I was 19, he, it was a miracle, the enormous invasion of power in my life. Absolutely. Became a Christian. But I will, I'm telling you, I continue to have many moments where I'm like, okay, God, let's finish the job here. Like the change is happening slow because other areas God's working on in my life. And I find myself disoriented because the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's slow. It's imperceptible. There are moments of great explosive power. But for much of the Christian life, it's slow, imperceptible change. Think of you, you, those of you who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about, raising kids. But I'm working on just being centered. I mean, I'm like, I, I, I want to be centered personally right now. I'm like, I look at this man sitting, he's, he's centered. He's sitting, he's dressed, he's in his right mind. I mean, he is just centered at the feet of Jesus. I said, I want, I want to live my life. I want to be centered at work. I want to come to new life and be centered. I want to be in an interaction with Marcus or people even a difficult interaction, I want to be centered at the feet of Jesus. I want to make decisions about my week or about my future from a center place, not scattered place. I'm looking for every interaction to be centered. This has been my great growth curve. And I find myself like, wow, you know, Lord, transform for me. Because I realize this passage, you've got to hold intention here. We don't like a mustard seed. We want to be like, let's make it power like Rome, like Athens. Jesus is not showy. And uh, he doesn't give us what the world gives us. And uh, Jesus does not crush people with his power and truth. So, so it's a balance. I can just see that garrison man in a small group. And he's now, now he, maybe he's back with his wife, you know, or he's got some friends, you know, and now he's like saying, okay, look, look, garrison, you have to speak in the eye. No more blaming other people. Okay. Oh, this is killing me. Yes. In the body of Christ here, Mr. Garrison, we do clean fighting, not dirty fighting anymore. Okay, so we got to learn clean fighting. Ah! I want you to listen now. They're going to say some things they don't like about you, you know, your anger and stuff. And so he's got to do discipleship. 
He's going to be silent for a few minutes before the Lord be still. Oh, I'm not used to being still. Yes, it's part of your training, Mr. Mr. Garrison. So you understand, he too is going to have to walk through discipleship. Like we all do, being a follower of Christ and, and learn. So, so you know, when I was in Colombia, I, uh, I met these two ladies uh, last weekend. And uh, they, to me, demonstrated two uh, women who made room for the power of Jesus. Now, the woman on my left is named Edelmira uh, Sanchez. And, uh, oops, sorry. And she, um, she's a mom with uh, six children. And she lives in a small town near Cali, Colombia. And she was a leader in the church, you know, a small group leader, when uh, the paramilitary or the guerrillas came into town and they assassinated the senior pastor. And, uh, and so she became the senior pastor in his place. And the reason she did, because they threatened to kill anybody who's going to be the senior pastor. And they actually came with guns to the church. Okay, but she says, I said, well, were, were you afraid? She goes, yeah, I was afraid, but I, I wasn't going to let them intimidate me. And so she became the senior pastor. And the church actually has, has, has added several hundred people to it. And she's planted three other churches. And, and she, she created this whole orphanage for 350 kids. And she's very quiet. I mean, I'm like, you're kidding. I mean, she's telling me this story. And I'm like, a very quiet woman. And she's in a denomination that doesn't believe in women pastors. And she's like, yeah, yeah, you know. But they all wanted me to meet her. And then this other woman on the other side of me uh, here is uh, Nancy uh, Vijegas. And she also is a pastor, senior pastor of a church. And But more than that, she, her husband was the pastor. And she was just the leader of the church. And, and she was in a car accident with her husband, her oldest son, and herself. The, her, her oldest son and husband were killed instantly. She was critically injured. And so you can imagine discouragement, you know, all that's I want to die. She goes, God healed me physically. And she goes, he didn't just heal me physically, he healed me emotionally. She goes, I carry the scars, but I just felt God calling me to take leadership of the church. Well, she took leadership of the church, again, in the same denomination that doesn't have women pastors. And the church so boomed again that she became a bishop. 30 churches asked her to be like their supervisor. Because she's so... And I said to her, I said to her, you mean to tell me? And she's also in, a, in an area where there's a lot of guerrilla activity. But she's like, they're like, fine. And I'm just like, you mean to tell me? I said to her, you're a bishop? She goes, yeah. <laughs> and, and I just, for me, it was just, it was the humility, the soft-spokenness of these two ladies. I said, do you realize what happens to a life when we make room for the power of Jesus? Do you think Thomas... Doubting Thomas ever thought he'd be an apostle to India to open up the whole continent? Do you think that Peter ever thought he'd be head of thousands of people in the church or James and John? They had no idea. Or John, the, John, the fisherman writing the book of Revelation for the history of the world. I mean, they never imagined what would happen to themselves when they made room for Jesus. Do you know every desire in your heart is a longing for God? Every longing of every human heart for happiness and joy is ultimately a longing for God. But that longing has been disfigured and distorted by the evil one. And so we look for earthly things to fill us with happiness, but nothing on earth can satisfy us. Because we were created with a desire for God that's so deep, so pure, and so profound that only he can satisfy us. You're looking for happiness, absolutely, and so am I. But that happiness is found in him. And so that... that he has come to sort out that twisted desire that's going for other things in an inappropriate way and put it back to Jesus. But he's come to untwist that and to free you like he came to free this garrison. That's what the gospel is about. So 
In verses 15 and 17, and we'll close with this, look what happens here. At the end of this passage, they see this garrison man. He's dressed, he's sitting, he's in his right mind. And they say, Jesus, they're afraid. And they say in verse 17, please leave. They want Jesus out of the area because they're frightened of his power. Now, I look at that, and I hope you can say like me, so am I. I mean, I'm a little frightened, too. Like, if I let you in here fully, what are you going to do? That's exactly right. He's going to knock some of that marble off and set you free. You may not recognize yourself when it's all over. Now, it's true, they were in the pig business. So they think, we lost 2,000 pigs already. If he stays around, we're gonna, I mean, we're, what are we going to do for a living here? I mean, and that is true, right? If Jesus stays around, what's going to happen? You're right. You can trust him with that, I can tell you that. you got to trust him with that. The Gerasene man, he used the same word in Greek as used. He pleads to go with Jesus. He pleads, he, goes, he begs in verse 18 to go with Jesus. And, and, and now it's interesting, he wants the same word used. He wants to be one of the 12 disciples. He goes, I want to be one of the 12. I can just see James and John say, no, no, no way. Bad idea. I can see the Gerasene saying, Judas, he's a bum. Get rid of him and take me. I can sense, I feel it. You can imagine what's going on in that discussion, huh? That must have been some board meeting, I'll tell you. Jesus tells him no. Tells him no. And if you read a couple chapters later, Jesus leaves that region of called the Decapolis or Ten Towns. Jesus comes back, we don't know, six months, a year later. And now, because the man stays. And he does what Jesus said. He tells everybody what God has done in his life. When Jesus returns, it says there's 4,000 there. And Jesus feeds the 4,000. Uh, uh, the guy, God uses this man tremendously. So just, you know, God says no to you. He's got a better plan for you. So do whatever he says. All right, I'll work out. Even though you may think it's a bad plan. But it turned out to be a great plan. 